for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com. Well, good morning. Oh, good afternoon, everyone. We had the switch here. I'm excited for today. And that was just... It's, it's always curious as, as Sunday progresses like, and, and how we come out of worship into like the message and just where uh, Gigi and Angela were taking us in, in just the freedom of God. And uh, it's just the divine providence of God leading us into deeper freedom, into deeper revelation. And so I just, I want to, um, I also want to like say hi to everybody on uh, our live stream. And uh, I've got some friends from South Florida tuning in. And so I just want to say hi to them. And uh, I, I'm excited about the series that we're in, Discipline. And most people go, how can you be excited about discipline? That doesn't sound like very much fun at all. But Discipline is what's in a disciple, right? That was week one. Caleb talked about that. Week two, uh, we defined discipline, what's in a disciple. And we defined it this way. A discipline is the activity, exercise, or regimen that develops or improves a skill or training. Now, typically... There's another definition in the dictionary, and it says it's punishment inflicted by way of correction and training. And that's often what we assume when we think of discipline, is we go immediately to punishment. But I want to propose to you that the discipline of God is activity, exercise, or a regimen that develops or improves a skill. Because the punishment that you deserved as a sinner has already been paid. You are free from punishment. So the discipline of the Lord is not to punish you. It's to train you, to equip you, to give you skill. And so there's, there's a mindset shift that we have to have. And I want to, to kind of create or describe the tension. One of the prophetic words over this house is that we teach a lot of principles in tension. And like if you're going to walk on a tightrope from one principle or one, one mountain to another, the rope has to have tension. Otherwise, you just got a slack zip line and gravity's going to take you. Right? You need that tension of principles to keep you clear and on the path. And so today, I want to talk to you about the tension of discipline equaling freedom. There's a former Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink, and he's got a book on this, and, and, but the phrase really hooked me. He has like social media posts of like, he gets up at 4.30 in the morning and every morning he takes a picture of his watch and posts it to go, what do you, when are you getting up? <laughs> right, but this idea of discipline equaling freedom, especially in a, in a free house, in a charismatic house where it's like, I am free, I, I just follow the Lord. There's a tension there that we, you know, the, the word says that 
the, um, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. I had a friend of mine, he was in a, a charismatic Bible school and they were doing their sermon preaching. And they said, we want you to go after it. We want you to listen to the Lord. We want you to preach under the unction of the Holy Spirit. But if you go one minute over, you get an F for the whole class. Because you can stay in control while you are moving in the Spirit. And sometimes we're like, having just so much fun with God, we're kind of like a two-year-old with too much sugar. Right? We're like, this is fun. But there's a part where it's like, you got to rein it in. Like your arms are flailing. There's people are around you. You know, there's parts of this that we, we, we've got to kind of balance and, and mature. Discipline is about maturing in Christ. You know, we just finished the uh, Christmas season. And part of that, we ended up with the kids watching Home Alone. And uh, the Macaulay Culkin character, you know, when his parents are gone, he's like, he's got the giant bowl of ice cream watching the, the mob movie he wasn't supposed to watch. And he's just like eating it up. And then you kind of see him like the next morning with that kind of comatose, like, what did I just do last night? And there's part that just because you're free, you're not free to do anything you want. There's a discipline that will bring freedom. For some of you, the freedom to eat <laughs> you're at the Golden Corral Buffet asking the Lord for a supernatural miracle of weight loss. <laughs> you kind of got, there's a tension there, right? We believe in the supernatural miraculous healing that God will bring, but there's part that's like, don't park it at the buffet if that's your goal. And sometimes we have these disconnects between the things that the Lord is showing us, the things that the Lord is asking us to do, and then the behaviors that we exhibit. It's not that you're not saved. It's not that God doesn't love you, but you just got a disconnect that needs some discipline to free you to launch into your destiny. And the Lord has a mandate to go and, and, and be fruitful, to multiply the kingdom of God here on earth and some of us are missing it because our, we're undisciplined enough to be free to do what he's calling us to do. So we have this tension. And before I get to uh, kind of the, the main uh, scripture for today, I just want to run through some Proverbs because Proverbs gives us so much wisdom. And to be a, a, uh, a, a disciple is to be a learner. Proverbs 12.1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> Let me ask you, which side of the comma do you want to be on? You get to choose. This is part of your freedom. You get the freedom to choose which side of the comma you get to be on. It's not going to change how much God loves you. It's not going to change your salvation. It's going to make life a lot easier. I say that sometimes the, the punishment of the wise is that you watch everybody else <laughs> who has not chosen your side of the comma. Right? But it's similar to that, Proverbs 19, 18. In the Passion Translation, it says, don't be afraid to discipline your children while they're still young enough to learn. 
Don't indulge your children or be swayed by their protests. But again, discipline is not about punishment. Right? We've taken the, some of the other definitions of discipline. The, this is not to punish your child into silence and just simple obedience. This is to train and equip them with skills so that they will be an independent functioning adult. You should be equipping your children to be arrows that are launched, not boomerangs that come back. So, <laughs> but there's an intentionality that comes out of that. You can't default. Well, I just got the belt as a kid growing up and that's the way I'm going to train my kids. The, is that how God has been teaching you? Some of you think so. Some of you think so and you've missed the loving correction of God and the assumption of what happens gets filtered through the lens that you see it rather than through the lens of God's truth. We say it a lot here, but it's because we've had such long conditioning. God is not mad at you. And some of this, when you think about discipline, we immediately go back and go, well, he must be mad. He's not mad. He's training and equipping you. If you're going to train someone to reign, you can't, if you think about the, the, uh, the princes, the, the royalty in England, they have lots of training. So they can just stand there. And that's all you see, right? They get fancy clothes, weird hats, and they're just like... And you go, uh, anybody can do that. But you miss the disciplines that they go through to be trained to reign. You can't just be wild. That's the problem. That's what hits the tabloids, right? It's so unlike this royalty to be on these like weekend benders. What is that? But some of us kind of still approach life that same way. With the kids, what are you training your children to do? How are you training them to grow up? You know, it's interesting. Um, the, one of the rewards in the parable of the talents is cities. What if God was training you to run a city? Let me just ask you something kind of personal. Would you want to live in your city if it looks like your car? Or your house? If the state of your house is any indication of how you'll run your city, what does that say? It may say you might need a little discipline. Not out of condemnation, but because it's to call you into a place of going, what, what standard do I want to live at? I was four minutes late to the uh, pre-service huddle this morning and it bothered me deeply because I have a standard that I go places on time. It takes discipline to do that. And then you know it when you miss it. And some of you have just kind of been like, 
well, that's uncomfortable. I don't like feeling like I missed it. So you set the bar for yourself really, really low. And God has said, come up, come up higher. The kingdom of God is not a dump. You don't pave streets with gold and then put garbage on them. Right? I want you to get a picture of excellence in your life. The main verse, chapter, the main scripture that I want to focus on today is in Hebrews 12. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. It's, it's 10 verses, so it'll take a little bit just to get through, but I want to go through it all so you get the whole context, and then we're going to break parts of it down. Hebrews 12, 3, it says, So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. After all, you have not yet reached the point of sweating blood in your opposition to sin. And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God. Or get depressed when he has to correct you. You could just park on that last phrase for a little bit. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. You want proof of God's love for you? Here we go. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For we have never once endured, for if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers? Even though they corrected and disciplined us, then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for a short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them. But God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good. This is not for him. This is for us for our own good, giving us an invitation to share his holiness. Now all discipline seems to be more painful or more pain than pleasure at the time, yet later it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. Who would like a harvest of righteousness and peace in their life? Right, that's, that's what we want but to get there, there's a process. And a lot of times we want to short circuit the process. We want to go, oh, I, I, I want this supernatural, miraculous, deposit of character. But those are, those are inconsistent ideas. You can have a supernatural, miraculous healing, but your character is built by the decisions that you make. 
So for you, it's going, how do I choose today to live out of the kingdom, to live out of righteousness, to live out of this peace? And there's part that we have to take every thought captive, right? We know that verse. We're like, yes, take every thought captive. How do you do that? Discipline. It's daily taking this thought captive. You know, it's, it's tragic that the world doesn't really look to the church for solutions. I mean, if you think about it, people don't go, I don't know what to do. Maybe I should ask someone at church. Why? Because the disciplines of thinking kingdom solutions is just kind of underdeveloped. We got flabby solution muscles. They're there. And they're there to be used. But if our whole goal is to teach people how to say a prayer so they get zapped out of here, we've missed the discipleship element. Jesus never did that. He said, follow me. Walk with me. Who in your life are you saying, follow me? Right? Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Because some people, they can't, they can't get a picture of heaven, but they can look at you. Does your life exemplify kingdom principles? Or is it littered with garbage over streets of gold? We want to call you up. This is an encouragement. I, I pray that you have no condemnation, but a healthy conviction. That, that we go, oh, I am missing out on kingdom opportunities to see people encounter God because I just lack discipline. That because I've lacked discipline, I actually don't have the freedom I think I do when it's like, I can eat a bowl of chocolate ice cream. The big kind, the whole bowl, the whole gallon, right? You can do that and you will still be saved. You will still go to heaven. If you do that regularly, you'll go earlier. <laughs> right? It's, it's not about performing for God's approval. You are a free person. Choose how to live free. There's, discipline will guide you. It will give you personal standards and rails to move forward. You know, I think about like the, the, the challenge, like if we take every thought captive and we look at like what happened at the Capitol the other week, 300 plus million Americans were not in physical danger, but so many people were afraid because we, we watch events and we're like super emotionally connected to everyone on Facebook. It's an emotional like sea that we get tossed in and we have to go, your emotions don't provide solutions. They are the flags to go, I need a solution. You have to stop being emotional and get into your problem solving part of your brain to go, I see something happening. What does this, first you got to answer, what does this mean to me? Should I be afraid? No one's at my door. 
Okay, so then what's the next step? Like, how do I bring a kingdom solution to the problem that I'm seeing? Because if we stay in Chicken Little and we run around with other Chicken Littles that are all emotional, nobody gets a solution, but everybody's stressed out. And so if you're stressed out because you're watching in the natural instead of listening to the supernatural, there's no solution that's coming, which is why you're irrelevant to, the, to society. want us to be the light that the Bible says we are. And if we don't get this, if we don't start being solutions to problems, there's, there's no relevance. As, as someone that's been passionate about discipleship and how we discipline uh, ourselves to follow God, I just, the, the evangelistic movement boiled everything down to say a prayer and punch out of here. And, and so we, we miss going, all right, if I'm following Jesus, the results may not be the political transformation that we hope for, but if our hearts get transformed and we experience peace, that's what your neighbor needs. You don't have to go to Tallahassee or Washington to enforce peace. And we get caught up and we get distracted by things that are actually irrelevant to your life and your neighbor's life and your friend's lives because you're like, there's something emotional happening and I'm upset, I'm mad. What are you gonna doing? I don't know, but I'm just mad. Well then take authority over your thoughts. I have found, and you could try this as an experiment, when you're feeling especially negative emotions, because you don't want those, you take authority over the negative emotion. If you can name it, tell it to get out. Fear, leave. Anger, leave. Frustration, leave. Aggravation, leave. Sometimes I'll even open the front door, invite it out. Bye. And I will tell you that I can feel the atmosphere shift in my house when I do that. And we become victims of our own emotions because we just don't have the discipline to tell them to shut up. I will. And, and so then we're like, we, we lose the concept that God made us powerfully in his image to bring the kingdom. That was the original goal, right? Adam and Eve were to expand the garden to cover the earth. Because in, if you step back and you look at what happened at the beginning of Genesis, there was chaos. It was formless. There was, there was a mess. And God's spirit came and hovered over the earth. And he brought order out of chaos. I was listening to one Bible scholar and he said, one of the things that was very um, powerful in the symbolism of crossing the Red Sea for the Israelites where the Egyptians thought on the other side of the Red Sea was chaos. They had built a society of order. And when you, when you cross that barrier, it's cray cray out there, <laughs> right? Because they weren't able to control that. And they didn't believe that their gods had control over that, right? And that's, that's the sovereign power of God going, 
I have dominion over all chaos. But there's part, I'm inviting you to steward the chaos that's in between your ears so that you bring order to it. So that what gets cultivated in the garden of your mind produces kingdom fruit and not weeds and tares. We want you to bear good fruit. Malcolm Gladwell says, and he's, he's really quoting other research, but it takes about 10,000 hours to become an expert in your field. If you think about the fact that you work about 2,000 hours a year in a full-time job, that's five years. Can I graciously ask you, if you've been at your job for more than five years, are you an expert? Some of you are. Some of you have just been punching the clock, biding your time, waiting for the kingdom to come, waiting for the rapture to happen so that you don't have your annual review. If that's conviction, you can make new choices starting today. We should be working with excellence, right? It says you don't work for your boss, you work unto the Lord. How are you doing at that? There, there's just, there's this accountability, not for condemnation, but to go, God wants to have a plumb line of excellence in your life. What are you putting your 10,000 hours in for? Some of you have been skimming the Bible in your reading for five, 10 plus years, but you've not put 10,000 hours of research into it. You know, a PhD is really a, a, the doctoral level award for becoming an expert in some small niche. But to do that, you know what you do? Read and 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 read. And then you do an experiment to try to figure out whether what you are reading will show up in something. Then you have to write a long paper about everything that you read in your experiment, and then you have to defend it. It's like 10,000 plus hours. So those, the degree doesn't mean anything except that you put in the work to pass through a process to become an expert. We should have that kind of intensity in going, how am I going to be an expert in my field? You don't have to have a PhD, but you can put, everybody gets the same 24 hours a day. I can't do the math times 365, but whatever it is. Right, you get a lot of hours every year. What are you doing? I have a friend of mine. He can tell me stats on the third string Florida Gator football team and where they ranked in the college, like, picking. I don't even know what they call it. Like, I'm like, I didn't know there was a thing for that. And he tells me all these details. That's not his job though. He's, he's, he's put his 10,000 hours in for about 11 Saturdays in the fall. Everybody gets to choose. I don't know that that's a bad thing, but I don't know how productive it is. Like he wows me because I'm fairly ignorant about all this. Like I, if I know who our quarterback is and a couple of wide receivers, I'm like, I'm solid. Like, I'll, that's, that's how much, like, I love my team. 
And that's the standard that I have for that. I just, I'm not going to choose to put my time into it because it's not that meaningful for me and it doesn't push and advance the kingdom. For some people it does. And that's okay. That's how we have diversity in the family of God is each of you have different passions and interests and how God will express himself through you. And so in that we can go, you care about that social justice item but I care about this discipleship item and you care about this and we can all be okay. We don't all have to do the same. Unity is not conformity. Right? And we have calls, you know, we, as a country, we need to be more united. That is true. But if what we're saying is it's conformity, then we're really at, a, at an impasse. We're not talking about the same things. Because the, and the church of, of Christ needs to have unity, but we sure don't want conformity. And we want to value. Like, I just, I keep going back the, 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 in the parable of the talents, the fact that there'll be cities. Just how, whether it's, it's a truly literal on the earth, whether it's, it's how the new Jerusalem functions. There's different operations in a city. What are you going to do with the hundreds of millions, if not billions of Christians when Jesus returns? Like we don't think sometimes practically like, I don't know. We just sort of like, well, I'll be like zipping up and down between the new Jerusalem and heaven. And, but it's like our character that we build now is what translates over. You're going to shed this mortal body. You'll get a new body but your character will go. The ability to go, I will steward my freedom in, in, in a community where there are people that are different from me will translate over. Because guess what? Heaven's going to be filled with people that are not like you. Like we got to get, get to that place of going, Am I reacting emotionally because just because they're different or because there's a real kingdom issue? Because sometimes we're upset about differences rather than principles. I love you guys. This is, this is to help you. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. As a kid, I thought they said in their underwear, but um, <laughs> my literacy got better. But let me tell you, this, this is why you want to be disciplined in cleaning your house. Because there's, there may be a ministry opportunity where someone's in crisis and you say, come sit on my back porch, have a cup of coffee, and we will pray and maybe cry and we'll, we'll, be, we'll, we'll push into the Lord together. But if you're too ashamed to have anybody to your house, you've missed that ministry opportunity. You can't take that person anywhere in your car because of all the stuff Right? There, there's a reason why the discipline of stewarding your things well leads to kingdom breakthrough. It's not that you're just like a neat freak. You know, it's always like the neats and the messies seem to marry. But there's part that 
as we, as we grow, there's a reason why we discipline ourselves to make the decisions that we do. And it's not just so like, you know, the butler with his white glove finds no dust. That's not the point. The point to having a clean house is to steward things well. How are you stewarding the temple of God? How are you stewarding this? If he's living in you, are you taking care of you? Right? Discipline is to, is to give you new kingdom skills to equip you to be able to fully engage your spirit with God and in the natural with those around you. So we want to empower you today to, to really understand the tension of discipline equaling freedom. Would you stand with me? Let's just, let's just pray. Let's ask the Lord. Jesus, is there an area in my life that needs discipline? I thank you, Lord, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but that you correct your sons and daughters as evidence, as validation of being a child of God. Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you equip us for every good work of the kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen the hands and feet of the body of Christ. And I pray most of all that you would strengthen our hearts and minds to discipline ourselves to choose freedom, to choose love, the greatest discipline is to choose to love well. So I bless everybody here. I bless those that are watching online. And I pray that the Lord will equip you and empower you and give you just a supernatural grace for discipline. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com.